All right. Well, we always start out talking about the gospel, and I just thought I'd open it up to you guys and ask the question and let you guys explain to me what the gospel is. So what is the gospel? What is the gospel? Does anybody want to... Or how about some different aspects of the gospel? Anybody want to answer that? You spoke first. <laughs> that's, that's my contribution. <laughs> Next. <laughs> well, the easiest one, John 3.16, uh, the easiest aspect explained there is that we have eternal life through faith in Him. That's very good. That's very good. Eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. Absolutely. What else? Through Jesus Christ, we, have, we are the sons of the Most High God. That's right. We're family. We're sons. Yeah, that's right. We become children. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Anybody else? Uh, that we were made just by Him. Yeah. Uh, Isaiah 53. He was uh, wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon Him. And by his stripes we are healed. Amen. Amen. Is there any other way that we can be saved? <laughs> Rick gave it away, didn't he? <laughs> there isn't, is there? No other way. What did Brandon teach this morning? Can we be saved by Jesus plus something? Jesus plus nothing. That's right. Jesus plus nothing. That's right. We can't ever be impressive to God. We can't earn our way. And just as the Judaizers were doing in the book of Galatians, as um, Brandon pointed out this morning, they were saying, yeah, you can be saved by Jesus. Jesus is important, but you also have to obey the, the law of Moses, right? So that's that's not the gospel. Paul calls that another gospel. And that's something that's very very prevalent today oh, yeah. yeah and churches around here especially some of those home churches there's a lot of, of uh, kind of homegrown churches around uh, Newcastle is a big one too we, we, we used to live in Newcastle and there was a big home church movement and it was geared toward that that type of thing yeah, yeah so even though we are all believers so I mean there's things that we do that when we talk about what is the gospel but it's so important when talking to others is the whole message God came down and you know because uh, and who God is because a lot of people yeah I mean it could, God to them is anybody yeah who they want to make him to be yeah and there's only one who can can pay that price that's right that's right yeah there's uh, the Bible warns us that there will be many false messiahs, right? Many false Christs. You can have a wrong Jesus, yes. mm -hmm. right? And so the Bible warns us of that thing. And it also says that in the last days there's going to be many coming, many false messiahs, false Christ. And what that actually means is many coming saying, thus says the Lord. Coming and speaking and saying, this is what God has said. And they're leading people astray by that. So, yeah. Jesus was common. It's a common name even now. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. You're right. You're right. Yeah. 
No, those are all good points. Those are all good points. And I, I, I think we, the only thing that we need to say is that it was something that was necessary, right? That Jesus Christ came to this planet, that he took on the nature of man, because there is no other way to pay for the penalty of sins other than death, because the wages of sin is death, right? So Jesus had to come, and he took our place on the cross, and all of our sins were laid upon him. And he died in our place for us and that's the that's the gospel that's an amazing amazing thing and we love to talk about it we're going to talk about it some more today in our study we're on page 80 and we're talking about the faithfulness of God and the gospel is just one of the aspects of um, of how that God is faithful a, a, a type of faithfulness that we cannot comprehend it's um, you know, as man, as as human beings, even the most faithful human being on this planet has degrees of unfaithfulness. There's there's no perfect person on this planet that's perfectly faithful. But we can find that God, just in in everything that we study, He is our ultimate source of these things. And we've talked about how that we understand different a- attributes of God because God. He is this. God is faithfulness. That's the only way that we can understand what faithfulness is. Just like we can't really understand love. We can't understand what love is if we don't look at God and we understand what it is that God did to love us. It's the same with faithfulness. Faithfulness, we can we can see how faithful that God is in scriptures and it helps us to understand exactly what that means. So I've got a verse here in Numbers 23:19. It says, "God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good?" So he's saying here that God is faithful. If God says he's going to do something, he's going to be faithful to do it, right? He's not like a man, he's not like us. As a matter of fact, uh, we're going to look at the unfaithfulness of man here in a little bit so we can have a better understanding of the faithfulness of God. Now, I've got a question here, and this is a pretty good question, I think. It says, how do you understand the faithfulness of God? And I, I want to change this question just a little bit. I want to say, <clears throat> how, what are some examples of how God has shown his faithfulness in your life? Is there any examples here? Because I know you guys probably have some amazing stories on how that God has shown great faithfulness throughout your lifetimes. And I'd love for you guys to open up and, and tell a couple of those things. Is there any anybody here that wants to talk about the faithfulness of God in your own lives? I'll start it off. This is a tough one because there's a little bit of confession here. But uh, God provided for my family as a mechanic even though I complained about it for 30 years. I knew that it was wrong, and yet he remained faithful even though in my words I was not faithful. And he supplied my family. He, he, he was faithful to you, so you, you felt like that wasn't a position you, you probably should have held. You should have, you should have been doing maybe something else. I should have been thankful for what he was giving me. Oh, okay. And, but you weren't. You were... Unhappy that I was doing it. Unhappy with your, with your job. Mm-hmm. But God was still faithful. Still faithful and that. said, well, if you don't like this job, I'll give you nothing. He did not do that, even though he should have. More than that. That's what we would have done, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Anybody else? Sorry, Mike. <laughs> Man, that was my project. <laughs> <laughs> have to cancel class. I know. Well, I w I've been through um, seasons of sin um, before I married this. <laughs> I've been through, since then, I've been through long, dry seasons of doubt. But there was an emptiness uh, that I knew would not be healed until I returned home. So very much like the prodigal son, I'm a, such a slow learner, you know, that God was faithful and patient. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. Does anybody else have anything they want to share? I'll share about my dad. Yeah. Um, so growing up, my father never went um, to church with me and my mom. It was pretty much just always me and my mom. So from a young age, I just, you know, was just praying for my dad, you know, um, constantly for, for him, you know, to come to know the Lord. And um, he answered our prayers. I guess it was maybe about, I don't know how long ago it's been five or six years ago, mm -hmm. um, and so he was like 68 years old and when he came to know the Lord. Mm -hmm. And so it, it was just really, it w and the, the, the whole story of it, it was just really God um, that, that um, and, and he said, and one thing he said was that I thought I was too old and God didn't want me, you know, because I had lived all this time without serving him and he had just thought that it was too late for him. Um, but he did, and, and, and we've definitely seen a, seen a change in him. So after mm -hmm. all these years of prayer, he's <clears throat> a Christian, and I believe in my heart that he is saved. Yeah, that's an amazing, that's a wonderful story. It is because mm -hmm. we're we're never too far gone. God is faithful, even if we've had a lifetime of being unfaithful, just as your dad did, and God still is faithful, even throughout all of those years of disobedience. We're talking about um, different ways that God has been faithful in our lives. That's That was the question, and I just opened it up to ask, you know, if there's any examples of that you'd like to share with the class of how that God has shown His faithfulness in your life. I have one. Yeah. <laughs> I'm late. No. <laughs> so, um, when I moved to Montrose, uh, well, I moved to Delta at first in t 2004, and when I'd come to Montrose, I would drive by this property, and I would just be like, oh, Lord, if I could live right there, like, how amazing would that be to live right there? And I would say that, I probably said that a good seven times since I've lived here, or w I started in Delta. Well, then I moved to Montrose in 2013, and um, bought a house in Fox Meadows, and uh, it's a two-story, and I just was thinking to myself, you know, my knees are not that great. I'm getting older, and I think I need to have a main floor master. So I thought, I'm going to start looking for some land because I think I'm going to build. Just on a whim, like, I don't even know why I thought that, but I just, I'm going to better start looking for some land. <laughs> so anyways, I think the Lord just put that in my heart. But anyway, so I would always take my kids down to Sunnyside, 12, because they went to Colorado West, so I never drove down Niagara, hardly at all. I drive coming home sometimes, and every time, I mean, I never get sick of the sand lawns, and I just would be like, oh, I love those things. 
And so anyways, so in 2018, I was driving down Niagara and I saw a sign there and I was like, and I, I back up and I'm like, oh my gosh, is that lot's for sale, the one that I wanted? I asked 16 years ago, I asked wow. the Lord, started asking the Lord for this property. And um, so anyways, I called and it was still available and it was very reasonable. I'm like, what is the problem with this property? And so um, I went to the city and she told me, she's like, because the water tap is now on the north side of Niagara, when this subdivision started, it was Tri-County water. But there's two lots left. This is an old subdivision. And I'm like, so I call the public works people and I'm like, why would you make somebody disturb Niagara to get water when you should just use Tri-County? Yeah, you're right. I, we should use Tri-County. You go ahead and use Tri-County. So I got that in writing. I put in my offer. And when I took my, my plans to the city, the planner lady at the city, she was like, now you understand the problem with that property. And I'm like, oh, no, I'm going to use Tri-County water. I'm not doing a city tap. And she's like, oh, you can't. You can't. And I'm like, well, yeah, I got it right here from Public Works. It's in writing. I had an email. And so she was like, oh, I'm going to have so many people so mad at me. And I'm like, you know, the Lord wanted me to have this property. I asked for it 16 years ago. So it's mine. And I'm going to use Trey County. So God is faithful. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing how God is faithful even in, in the little things, isn't it? He's faithful in every area, in small things and big things. and Because yeah. there's some things that seem small to other people, but they're big to us, right? There's a lot of things like that, that God shows His faithfulness. Is there anybody else got anything else before we move on? I was going to say, my, <clears throat> I think all of us can say our salvation is mm-hmm. obviously the faithfulness yeah. of God. Yeah. It's up to us. Of course, we've never been believers, but um, us even living here, getting the job that I got when it caused us to live here, and even our house. I'm like her. We were down, you know, we had our house in Junction was under contract. Couldn't find a place here. What are we going to do? The guy said, and I'd gone down our street before just to see what the neighborhood was like because I didn't want to just spend my time going into a subdivision there's no way I could afford to buy. And uh, so he gives us an address, look at the map. Well, the only one who has juniper is where I was before, where I saw a house, our house, and a fellow love I said, that's the house, I took that and there's for sale. So I go down and I go to the cul-de-sac and there it is, it's for sale. They just put it on the market, wow. perfect price, everything was, was just perfect. And, um, <coughs> excuse me, like I was telling Mike, as far as since been married, our how we've moved around, how God has always moved us for spiritual purposes. Mm-hmm. He's always provided with us. We've always had money. We were satisfied with living on next to nothing, but He always provided mm-hmm. and met our needs, and um, which to me is amazing. And because of how I grew up, I had I I kind of blocked. I mean, I I was willing to be a believer, but. I was reserved about giving God total control. And so in moving here, that was the purpose is to get the right place, hear the right message at the right time in my life, where I was willing to just, just give it all to God for Him to do more than just save me, but to actually change who I was. And it's, it's just all God. I mean, I, I look back and it's just God, God, God through the whole, my whole life. Yeah. Yeah, that's. You just patient to wait that long time. You <laughs> 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 didn't say, forget this girl, she's too stubborn. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat>
So he's a lot of what I think that I'm hearing too is through God being faithful and showing his faithfulness to you guys, it's helped to, to change you. It's helped for you to grow. It's helped for you to to learn who God is and how amazing that he is and to grow spiritually through these things as well, right? It doesn't depend on me. Yeah, yeah. So he's at work, and everything he, ha- he does is, has purpose to it, right? It's always purposeful, everything that God does here. Yeah, so that's good. Those are good comments. I've got a, another verse here in Lamentations 3, 22 through 23. The Lord's loving kindness indeed never ceases, for his compassion never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. That's such a good, good verse. And I've got a point. It says, to better understand the faithfulness of God, what better place to start than the unfaithfulness of man? What better place to start the unfaithfulness of man than in the beginning? So we're going to look at Genesis because we see right at the very beginning how that man is unfaithful. And one of the reasons that we want to look at that is it helps us to understand in a greater way what true faithfulness is. You know, it's kind of like we don't really understand what good is unless we've experienced things that are evil, right? And when we experience things that are evil, then when something good happens, then how amazing is that, right? And so there's always these attributes of God. It's always good to get a, an understanding of how that God works by looking at at what happens whenever we do the thing that is opposite of, of the nature and character of God, right? Which is unfaithfulness. Unfaithfulness. So let's look at Genesis 3, 1 through 6. Genesis 3, 1 through 6. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any fruit of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die, for God knows that in the day that you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate." So, right at the very beginning, <laughs> now we don't know how long that Adam and Eve was, was on the planet before this happened, um, but it, it, it seems like it wasn't real long, a long time had passed. Uh, it could have been 20 years, we don't know, but it may not have been. It could have been a year, two years, three years. All we know is it was pretty, pretty sudden, it seems, that it didn't take much convincing and man was just ready to to be disobedient, to be unfaithful to the things that God had given them, and unappreciative. That kind of shows how that we can take take for granted the amazing blessings and great things that God has given us, right? He's given us such abundance, such amazing things, and it's so easy for us to take that for granted. 
So in verse 1 here, Satan asked the question, Indeed has God said? So this, this was a question that Satan asked to see if, God, if, if, Adam, if, um, if Eve was going to be faithful to God or if uh, she was going to be unfaithful, unfaithful to what God has commanded her to do. So this was just a setup. That's what Satan does is he sets us up and he lets us do the destruction, our, our own self-destructive works. So, because um, he can't force us to do anything. All he can do is trick us, right? And so that's what he's doing here. And then in verse 3 that we see here, and this is the point under verse 3, it says, Eve adds to God's word by adding the words or touch it. God never said that in 2, 16 through 17. So Eve opened the door for Satan's temptation. Now, there's different, <clears throat> there's different ways that people look at this. One of the ways uh, that actually Nikki brought out, I think from a Sunday school class that she went to the other day, and that... Um, that somebody had pointed out that Eve may not have been taught very well from Adam because we see how that that God told Adam not to eat of the tree. He didn't specifically tell Eve that, or it's not recorded that he told Eve, Eve that because Adam was the head of the household, right? And so it was it was Adam's job to be faithful to um, to tell his wife what God had said, and he he either failed to do that. Or he may have been faithful in doing that, and he just disobeyed, right? So we don't know if Adam had given her some false information that Adam said, hey, you can't even touch that tree, you know, kind of adding to God's word. Eve, don't even touch that tree, <laughs> you know. He may have done that. Uh, either way, this is still a failure. It's, it's still um, unfaithfulness because we know that that's how the cults get started right is taking God's word and twisting it adding to it taking away from it any because God's words perfect it's perfect it's absolutely perfect when we start changing it then we can get into all sorts of trouble so whether Adam twisted it or or Eve just knew it perfectly and decided that she's going to to rebel against God and be unfaithful either way it was um, it was set to uh, the, the, the greatest ramifications that the world had ever experienced, right? It, it had changed, it shattered the entire creation. It was a huge, huge mistake to be unfaithful and disobedient to God, right? I think that, um, like we see in the other verse, Satan did come out and say, well, um, well God um, said that, that you can't touch it. Or God, you know, he didn't make a statement. That's what I'm trying to get at. He didn't make a statement. He asked a question. The same thing he did when he confronted Christ. Well, if you are the Son of God, you know, it's that. And I think I look at it, because we don't know the time frame. There's a purpose and a reason for that. Is that you plant the doubt. And then when you add to that, then comes out the wrong things, like her saying, you know, not to touch, or her mm -hmm. not going and consulting her husband. That was her first sin, her first wrong thing. She didn't go to her husband and say, well, this is what he said. Is this true or not? They didn't go to God. Mm -hmm. I mean, right. it, was a, it just skyrocketed in all the things that they should have done that they did. Of course, they didn't have the experience either, which, you know, God was actually quite merciful with them in that respect. Yeah. But... Uh, but I think that's 
that's the lesson I see is is when people cast doubts on what we believe, where do we go for the answer? Or do we just say, well, maybe there's some truth to that? And then go and either address it ourselves, go to another person, or do we go to God and into his word to find out the truth of it? Yeah. Rather than mm -hmm. you know, responding in kind. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Verse 5 here. <clears throat> It's what I want us to focus on. Satan tells Eve that if she eats the fruit, she will be like God. So this is something I think that was very appealing and kind of like what Elaine just brought out. You know, when Satan tempted Christ whenever he was out in the wilderness, he was appealing to Christ's pride. He was hoping that Jesus would be like himself because we know that Satan fell because of pride. So what he was doing is he was saying, if you are the Christ, mm -hmm. just kind of expe expecting Jesus to react just as himself, just as Satan himself reacted. You know, oh, I'm, I am the Christ. Let me show you that I'm the Christ, right? That's kind of what um, <coughs> Satan expected. Or that's, that's what, what he was. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's what. Yeah, that's that was the temptation. And here we're dealing with the pride issue too, because he's he's saying, you know, I can make you, if you eat this, you'll be like God. You're going to be like God. Um, you're going to be better than than who you are now. God's holding something back. Yeah. Yeah. It's not what you think he is. He doesn't yeah. really have your best interest in yeah. mind. Yeah. Yep. So all of those subtext things are going on too. Mm -hmm. Trying to get in the middle of the relationship. And yeah. Which is really sad when you think they had everything that they could possibly want. Yeah. Perfect state, perfect environment, control of you know, the animals and the nature and had each other. They had all those things. And obviously, they, they needed to learn. But it's not like they were destitute. They weren't out on the street in rats and starving <laughs> to death. And Satan coming and saying, you know, well, I think that God is, you know, he's depriving you of something. <laughs> That's yeah. a big, big difference when you're looking at those two aspects. It really is. Every need was met. God had given them the entire planet. Yeah. The whole thing. Everything you know, everything that they wanted. Except all the food. Except this one fruit. Except this <laughs> one fruit. And that's they, right. Yeah, the thing that's going to cause you destruction that you're missing it. <laughs> yeah. They didn't have uh, what we call the sin nature yet because they hadn't sinned. Yeah. And yet there must be something in human beings that says, I want to be, you know, like God. And I want the one thing that yeah. I'm not supposed to have. Yeah. Look at you Lucifer. Know, self, the selfishness. Yeah. Lucifer had, look where he was. This position of power. He was music and, and brilliance and, and glory, you mm -hmm. know, all that. And yet it wasn't enough. Yeah. He wanted to be God. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, so we're seeing here how that that mankind, Satan, um, and mankind were unfaithful to God. And what's amazing is we see the faithfulness of God because the world didn't end in chapter three. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't even end with Lucifer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
that's amazing. Like for me, <laughs> the Bible would be three chapters long if I were God. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, I'm just gonna I'm gonna crush this little creature that I just made. <laughs> It yeah. goes back what we see in Numbers. Mm-hmm. You know, that what he has set out to do, he's going to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Adam and Eve, they were unfaithful to a God who created them, who given them life, who gave them each other, who gave them the planet, mm-hmm. who gave them all the resources they need to flourish in this world. Perfect environment. But God... Um, showed his faithfulness even in their rebellion and that's amazing that's amazing sin is such an ugly thing i mean we see here that what adam and eve are are doing and adam's held accountable for this and we see this in in romans chapter 5 that we've got here we're going to we're going to read here in just a second but uh, adam's held accountable for this and um but sin is is such an ugly thing because we what they're doing essentially is shaking their fist in the face of God and saying, God, what you've given me is not enough. It's not good enough. It's not good enough. And so that's a, that's a frightening place to be. Romans 5, 13 through 14 says, For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who was a type of him who was to come. So we can see here that Adam is held responsible for this and there was ramifications, there was a curse that was put on the planet and all of a sudden things changed because sin, because sin entered into the world even though there was no law and we see that that death had plagued this planet from Adam all the way into the law of Moses because sin was imputed, as it said, or passed on to all of the offspring of Adam, right? So it just snowballed. This is one of the reasons, too, that um, just to bring up a quick little excerpt from this, um, you know, the people who teach evolution, <laughs> they say, you know, survival of the fittest, right? That there is all this death and all this suffering and the the fittest survived, and that's what we have today, you know, is the fittest things. But according to the Bible, everything was perfect, and there was no death at all up until this point. Because God had created this planet, and he said, it is good. And He, whenever he created man, he said, it's very good. This is very good. There was no death. There was no bad. <laughs> there was no evil up until... Um, well, until the fall of Satan, which I, I believe was somewhere between the creation of the heavens and the earth and what we have here in Genesis. Um, and then, of course, it plagued mankind whenever Adam and Eve sinned against God and rebelled. And, of course, it was passed on to all of their offspring, as we see here. I think, you know, something before you go any further on that, too. Back to uh, verse 5, what we were talking about. Um, I thought this was really an important thing to, to look at yeah. is that they were created perfect uh, and then, you know, like it says, then they will know good from evil. Well, their eyes will be open. But that knowledge that they got, it didn't bring uh, neither God's power, his wisdom, nor his ability to love. And uh, knowledge only brings shame, fear, and pain because it lacks the one thing that gives value to knowledge, and that's the Spirit of God working in our life. 
then knowledge has a value because we understand and we, you know, we're given discernment over what is good to choose and what is wrong to choose. And since we have no power in ourselves to, to do the right thing because of our sinful nature, we need God to be that power for us. Yeah. And to be our strength and be the one in control. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I think that's a good point that knowledge without God is something that's that's going to burn one day. It's mm-hmm. something that is going to change. You can have perfect knowledge of things of this world, but all that's going to one day be gone. The only knowledge that lasts forever is the knowledge that we learn about the attributes of God, about the Bible, about what he's told us in this book right here. This knowledge is everlasting knowledge. This is what's important. Knowledge just, you know, some people spend their entire lives just wanting to be really, really smart. And then what do they do? They die. (laughs) And that brain with all that knowledge. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's so so you're right. Um, we should be purposeful in these things. If we're going to, uh, I'm not saying that we shouldn't learn things t- so we can be have a good job and those type of things. That's important too. But if that's what consumes our lives and uh, that's all that we're focused on, then we're, I think we're missing the point. Solomon is a perfect example of that because he experienced. He did it. All. He had the freedom, the money, the power to do it all. And what did he decide in the end? That was really the important thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Vanity of vanities. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <coughs> you could also say maybe the a possible interpretation of you shall not, and he said, or touch it. Another possible interpretation of that is that Adam and Eve were already becoming legalistic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. God said, don't eat it, but we're going to say we won't even touch it. And that's what the Pharisees did. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Which yeah, would the, tie into Galatians that we're studying. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what, the, what, what I always like to, the, the illustration I like to give with the Pharisees is they, I think they started out with good intentions. Um, they wanted to protect the law of God. And so in order to protect the law of God, let's build fences around it. And, you know, and just one fence, well, that's not enough. Let's spend, let's build a hundred fences around it. <laughs> yeah, so you have to climb over a lot of fences to get to the wall, right? And so that's what they did. And that's basically, yeah, you're right. That could have been something that's going on here is let's build a fence around that tree. <laughs> you can't even touch it. But that's not what God said. This yeah. one was overrun, so they're going to guarantee that it doesn't happen again. Mm-hmm. They are going to make it happen. They're just duplicating the problem they had to begin with. <laughs> yeah. Trying to do it themselves. Yep. You know, it's interesting what everybody's really saying here. To be more than obedient is disobedience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, kind of like we we saw with Aaron's kids. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah, we got fired from their job. They got fired from their job. (laughs) (laughs) They got fired from their job, indeed. Yeah, that's a very serious thing. God has given us uh, things for a reason, for sure. Um, So I've got a question. I think I've already answered it, but I'll ask it just so you guys can answer it. Uh, What does the word imputed mean? And it's used in the NASB and the... New King James Version, which I personally think 
are the best two versions, in my humble opinion. Because <laughs> they use really good theological words, like imputed. <laughs> what, is it, what does the word imputed mean? I looked up this word. Okay. In, in Greek, it's elogeo, yep. which literally means to write it down. Mm-hmm. But it was an accounting term. Yes. So um, if you did something and earned a wage, then that was written down and it was yours. Mm-hmm. If you broke a law, likewise, it was also written down and it was yours. In this context, there was no charge before the law was written, basically. Of yeah. those laws. Of, yeah, of the written law. Yeah, because we, we see, uh, like with Cain, obviously up at that point no one had died, so when he committed murder, then there was guidelines that were set up. And the fact that we see um, that uh, there were pillars built for prayer, because there was no law, so they weren't doing it for forgiveness of sins mm-hmm. in the same way as we see later. But there was, those people knew, they weren't in ignorance, we aren't told exactly what God told them, but the fact that they did anything, they weren't in ignorance that they, certain things were right and wrong. And of course we get to Noah and look, you know, he obviously knows that sin is sin. Mm-hmm. So, um, and again, it's not a matter of, uh, it, our conscience bears witness, because mm-hmm. God is bearing witness to our conscience, whether mm-hmm. something is right or wrong. Yeah. Even little children recognize that even before they're told, no, that's bad, bad, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they have to learn through some discipline that bad really means bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. That's right. But, uh, and so that would be kind of that same thing. Mm-hmm. With a child, you know, you don't discipline them the same way the first time as you do when they continually repeat the same wrong, even though you've told them yeah. time and again. Yeah. So I think that's what we see here, is that God is, did not punish them before because they hadn't learned yet everything that they needed to learn. That when they got to the time of, of God putting down the law, and he was, had the children of Israel, and he was doing a nation, then there were set guidelines that he mm-hmm. wanted them to follow, and he let them know. Yeah, it's interesting. Well, the point that you brought up is interesting because even today, if you go to other countries that have never read the Bible, they have no clue what the Ten Commandments are. It's wrong to murder. Yeah. It's wrong to steal. It's wrong to do these things. Because the Bible says what? It's written in our hearts. Yes. And that's part of being an image bearer of God. We were created in the image of God. Those things were naturally put inside of us. So the when, uh, whenever the Ten Commandments were written down and given to Moses, it was just reiterating what was already on people's hearts. And that's what's on people's hearts today, right? That's why that it's wrong no matter where you live and whether you know the Ten Commandments or not, because it's in our hearts. Doesn't common sense tell you, you know, mm-hmm. the scriptures too? Um, and why, if, if it is not something that God puts in a person's heart, then why all cultures from the very beginning have one of God, whether they want to accept the true God or not, but they feel a need for a God, mm-hmm. someone greater than them to correct the wrongs that are taking place, Yeah, yep. to rule over them. That's right. That's right. Yeah, that's, those are good points. Those are really good points.
Yeah. So that's right. And so this is, a, so back to Romans five thirteen, just talking about how that sin is imputed to Adam and all of his, uh, from Adam to all of his offspring. The next point here says this sets up what is said in verse 14. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam. So the question is, how did death reign from Adam until Moses if there was no law? And we've answered some of this, but I'll just give you guys a chance to talk for a second while I'm trying to kill some flies. <laughs> I've got my fly swatter here. While he's ready, while he's in the process of getting murder. That's right. <laughs> Killing his cre his creatures, <laughs> God's creatures. <laughs> well, we, we see definitely the rejection of God mm -hmm. by people. There wasn't any law that says you can't reject me. <laughs> but people, yeah, when they wanted to choose how they wanted to live, of course, they're rejecting God. Yeah, no, that's that's a good point. Paul's wanting here in this in this text, he's he's wanting us to understand something. And there's certain points we got. Sometimes we can miss the point by getting mixed the too many weeds in the way, right? We get we get lost. Um, <clears throat> but he's just wanting us to understand that that sin was imputed to all of all of his offspring, and we're one of his offspring. So sin was imputed. That's the reason that death that death was in the world until Moses because because that was passed on to all of his kids. And that's the reason that people continue to die because the wages of sin is death. Um, and that's something that's imputed to us. Um, and so even though we can't get angry and say, well, this is all Adam's fault <laughs> and just blame Adam and say, oh, if it wasn't for Adam, if Adam hadn't done that, man, look how awesome the world would be. Uh, it just Adam was our representative, and and he he's the one that that kind of led the way, and that's why there had to be a second Adam, right? That came to to um, to to obey what the the first Adam had um, failed at doing, which we know is Jesus Christ that it talks about. That we'll read here in a minute. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So this point says that the wages of sin is what death. So the reason that people died between Adam and when the law was given on Mount Sinai was just because sin was imputed to every person that was ever born or would ever be born. So so we're all declared to be unfaithful. <laughs> mm -hmm. We're all declared to be unfaithful to God. God shows his perfect faithfulness and all of us are unfaithful to God. Um, and so that's, that's basically kind of our starting point here. Um, Sin is is an action that's um, it's something you know. A lot of people don't understand really what sin is. Does anybody know what the actual definition of sin is? To miss the mark. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Yeah, that's the definition is to miss the mark. So the mind has to. Our minds has to choose now. As believers, I'm talking about when we're Christians, and each person person in this um, in this classroom is a Christian. So now that we're saved, we don't have to sin. Uh, our sins was imputed to Christ, and we have been set free from that. We no longer are in, are enslaved to sin. So um, Christ has set us free once we become believers. And so, in order for us to sin, you know. 
that sin is first birthed in the mind, right? It's something that we have to see. It's something that we have to think about. And it it's on our mind first before it comes out into our actions, right? When it comes out into our actions, that's when we're missing the mark. We're missing the mark. And so what's scary about this is whenever we decide to do that, then what we're doing is instead of concurring with God, we're concurring with Satan, right? We're concurring that... Um, we want to be something better than what we are. We, can, we, whenever we sin, really, we're declaring that what God has given us and what He's done for us isn't good enough. That we want to be like God. We want to be able to make the rules. We don't like those rules, and so um, it's a very serious charge. It's a very serious charge. Even though we're forgiven of those things as believers, thank goodness we're forgiven of those things. That's but I just want us to understand the seriousness of the nature of sin because that's uh, something that's very serious to God. In Mark seven fourteen through 23, this is Jesus speaking. Um, After he, that's Jesus, called the crowd to him again, he began saying to them, Listen to me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside the man which can defile him if it goes into him, but the things which proceed out of the man are what defile the man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. When he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples questioned him about the parable. And he said to them, Are you so lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from outside cannot defile him? Because it does not go into his heart, but into his stomach, and is eliminated. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he was saying, that which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. So this is just Jesus reiterating the fact that um, our sin nature was pe- was passed on to all of us. It's something that's inside of us. So we don't uh, we're not sinners because we sin, right? We we sin because we are sinners. That's what Jesus is saying here. There's something in our hearts that proceeds out. It's not something that enters in. So there's, sin, sin doesn't jump on you, <laughs> you know, like it's hiding in the bushes, and then all of a sudden it jumps on you, and then it you sin against God, right? It's something that's in it's in there. It's in the heart. Um, it's that rebellion against God and us wanting to be like God. We still have the same problem that Adam had, and that, that we sometimes don't like his rules. And so that's what he's saying here. And so that's what this next point says. We are not sinners because we sin. Scripture teaches that we sin because we are sinners. It's inside of us because, what, we're born of Adam, right? We're imputed all of this rebellion, as we just read in, the, in uh, Romans. And so um, we're naturally unfaithful to God, knowing how amazing and faithful he is to us. Does that not crush you sometimes? It does me. I mean, whenever I sin against God, knowing how faithful and loving and kind and generous and merciful he's been to me, that I can all of a sudden decide, you know, I think I know better than you, God. I think I'm going to... Even though I know that this is sin, I'm just going to do it anyway. You guys ever done that? Never. Never. 
<laughs> yeah, it's something crushing to me. It, it really is, especially when you realize it, when you realize it. Sometimes we don't realize our unfaithfulness until after we've already done it. And then it just, you know, I don't know about you guys, but it hits me like a ton of bricks sometimes. It just crushes me. And it, and it drives us to our knees, and that's what it should do. We should see how amazing that God is, how faithful He is. And we know that He's so forgiving and He's faithful to us, even though that we continue to rebel against Him. We continue to act like Adam. And He's still faithful to us. And, but it should drive us to our knees and, and it should give us even a greater appreciation that He's so loving to us and that He's so merciful and so patient and long-suffering. <laughs> So long suffering. Yeah, I think um, when Christ said, you know, forgive it for they know not what they do, got understanding who He's created, what we're capable of and not capable of, and our restrictions. I think that contributes to being able to be patient. And, um, but I think too, like you said, you know, how it grieves you when you, when you think about something that you've done. I think a lot of people don't realize that it, it hurts God. I mean, uh, there's sadness in his heart when he's, he's done so much and yet, we, you know, we do wrong. I mean, knowingly do it, even in spite of all that we know, in spite of how he's blessed us. Yeah. And, yeah, that's, I think that's when it hurts. When I think about that, that's when it hurts me the most is that, that he's, his sadness. I mean, if we think of an unmoved mover, well, obviously then people, you know, oh, well, it doesn't really hurt him, it doesn't really affect him, but when we realize it does because he loves us, then that's a different story. Are you duplicating flies up there? They're going crazy, <laughs> aren't they? They're possessed. I know. They're possessed. He doesn't like what we're talking about. I know. <laughs> yeah. No, those are good. If I could just add, Mike, you make a great point. Sin is inside of us. The book of Galatians that Brandon is going through is talking about people who thought it was not inside of them. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so they're worried about the outside. Yeah. Yes. And when they got a problem that they can't even see. Jesus called them whitewashed tombs. <laughs> <laughs> what a picture. <laughs> yeah. I think yeah. just getting back to the, ch the children, like what you're saying there, if they had only looked at their children, you start off, those children, they haven't been taught anything good or evil. They don't have examples of what life is like, and yet they're, they're very, they can be very selfish. It's all about them, what they want, mm -hmm. what pleases them. Yep. If they want a toy, they don't care if they have to steal it from another child. They're going to do it. They have to be taught. Yeah. So it's, it's, that is seeing the sin nature, Yep. that selfishness, that self-centeredness. Yep. You're talking about a baby. Little one. Well, Adam and Eve were babies because they were never babies. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 they were baby adults. Yeah. <laughs> they got baby adults. Uh, yeah, that's right. I want that fruit. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a, a quote here from Arthur Pink Unfaithfulness is one of the most outstanding sins of these evil days. In the business world, a man's word is with rare exception no longer his bond. In the social world, 
marital infidelity abounds on every hand, this, the sacred bond of wedlock are broken with as little regard as disregarding an old garment. In the ecclesiastical realm, thousands who have solemnly covet, coveted to preach the truth have no scruples about attacking and denying it, nor can reader or writer claim complete Im immunity from uh, immunity from the fear fearful sin. How many ways have we been unfaithful to Christ and to the light and privileges which God has entrusted to us? How refreshing then, and how blessed! to lift our eyes above this scene of ruin and behold one who is faithful faithful in all things at all times and I love that last sentence that he says here you know I mean I, I think that is such a good way to see it that he says you know this this scene of ruin and that's that's one that I say at the beginning of the study that we really do understand the faithfulness of God better when we see the unfaithfulness of man because um, it is a ruin, it's a wreck, and we can see that, and it, it's not getting any better, is it? <laughs> it just seems to, it just keeps crumbling, right? It just keeps to, it keeps going downhill, and things seem to be getting even worse. So the scene of ruin that Arthur Pink is writing about here, who was alive about a hundred years ago, <laughs> imagine if he was alive today. And so <laughs> yeah, yeah, but. You know, where he says, and behold, one who is faithful, faithful in all things at all times. This is something that's, it's, it's, um, it's beautiful. It's something that's really almost incomprehensible. We can't understand it outside of God because we've never seen it. We've never seen a perfect, faithful person because they don't exist. We have to be in the realm. We have to be in the faith, in this book right here, in order to understand that. We have to know God. Um, even pagan gods. <laughs> if you look at pagan gods and you know the story of them, they're very unfaithful. They're petty. Yeah. people. They are. Because they're made in our image. They're not really God, right? Yeah. God's made in our image instead of us being made in the image of God. Yeah. That's right. That's right. So these are really, really important things for us to understand. And I got a, a note here that says, the doctrine of imputation is both the most tragic and the most beautiful doctrine in all the scripture. And that's probably a good ending note because we got about three minutes left. But that beautiful part of imputation is how that Christ imputed holiness to us at the cross. That is beautiful. That is amazing because on the cross our sins was imputed to him. So Adam imputed uh, that sin nature to us. We imputed our sins upon Christ on the cross and Christ imputed perfect righteousness and holiness to us who are his own, to his children. That's beautiful. That's an amazing thing. That's what we call the great exchange. And I think that's why that this word imputed is extremely important. I think it's a very important doctrine for us to understand and it's one that's overlooked pretty often in the church. But man, what a beautiful doctrine. What a beautiful doctrine. I mean, it just doesn't get any better than that. Perfect gift of salvation that we get for free. We don't have to earn it. We don't have to be impressive to God. We can't. 
It's impossible. He just gives it to us freely because He loves us. All of our sins have been taken care of. Just faith in Christ. Right? Just faith in Christ. That's the only way. That's the only way. Yeah. Is there any last comments? Because I think we're pretty much out of time. I was thinking is, you know, in this world, when people do wrong, even if, let's say they go to jail and pay for it, or even mm-hmm. of it, the effects are still felt. Some of it is minor, some it is beyond, you know, comprehension. And that is the result in this world. Um, but when it comes to God, that's it. I mean, sure, we have to finish our life, but I mean, it ends, the results even, of, of our sin in this world end. We're not... It doesn't continue to go on for eternity. God is not reminding us, well, I saved you. Do you remember when you did so-and-so? It's, it's not hung over our head. Yeah. Instead, God is building a relationship where that's no longer a barrier. Yeah. That's not important to him at that point because it's, it's been paid for. It's done. As long as we remain faithful and trust in him and look to him and are continually you know, asking for forgiveness for our sins. And he empowers us to do even that last yeah. part. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Through the Holy Spirit, he indwells us. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's such that's such freedom. Because when you hear of some people's tragic lives, I mean, like someone who's been a murderer and now they're a believer. Mm-hmm. This that they have sadness over what they've done, but there's also a joy knowing that they're not gonna have to pay for that for all eternity. Yeah. Yeah. It's over and it's done. That's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah, the only thing that I'd probably add to this is, you know, we, we, we started at the beginning and said that Jesus is always our example. He's always the one that leads the way. And oftentimes, being faithful to God isn't easy. And Jesus is even our example of that. Whenever he's in the garden, he's praying, I don't want to do this, but God, not my will, but your will be done. You know, just showing that Jesus is faithful to God even when it is the most. There is nothing that any person has ever endured on this planet that Jesus endured. There is no such situation harder than what Jesus faced, ever. That's the worst situation that history will ever know of. And Jesus was faithful. Jesus was faithful. And that is, he's the one that leads the way. He's our inspiration. He's the one that helps us whenever things are hard. And we can look at Christ and say, he's, he's in me. I'm in him. Right? I can do this. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, good, guys. This has been fun. This has been fun. It's always good to talk about the faithfulness of God. Kind of painful to talk about my unfaithfulness. <laughs> <laughs> but... All right. Rick, would you go for us? Yeah, I'd love to. <clears throat>